Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me this morning in your Bibles to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, and verses 14 to 23. Mark, chapter 13, and verses 14 to 23. Mark chapter 13, verses 14 to 23. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please hear with me the reading of God's Word. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, Here is the Christ. Or look, there He is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we continue on in part two of our study in the Olivet Discourse. Last week we read how Jesus, the the great prophet, predicted the destruction of the temple. How it would fall and not one stone would be upon another. How all would be cast down. And we've seen how that that caused shock amongst the apostles, didn't it? So much so that they, they turned to Jesus and they asked Him two questions. And those two questions were, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And we've seen specifically when we looked at Matthew's Gospel how the apostles tied or connected in their mind the destruction of the temple with the end of the age. They thought that the destruction of the temple was so great of an event that it must mean that Christ at that moment is going to return. Now Jesus answers the apostles' questions as we have said, but He does not answer them according to to the faulty premise of the question. Jesus tells them, these two events, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age will occur. And yet, brothers and sisters, what he describes to them here is that they are going to occur, though, in two distinct events. And so Jesus began to answer question two first. And we've seen that in verses 5 to 13. He tells them, these are the signs that must occur before the end. The wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. But remember, he tells them, right? He cautions them, don't, don't get, don't read too much into these signs. Don't look too much into them because they do not mean that the end is here. In fact, these are the same events that we see going on today as part of those birth pains that Jesus and Paul told us that we looked at last week that the church must experience until the second advent of Christ, which will not come until the gospel is proclaimed to all nations and all of God's elect have heard it and have come to faith in Christ. But also, brothers and sisters, what I want us to do is to remember who it is our Lord is speaking to. 
Right? He is speaking to the apostles. He is speaking to the apostles about things that they themselves will experience in their own lifetime. And we cannot lose fact, uh, sight of that fact. In fact, we have said last week that all of those calamities uh, that, that were spoken of in verses 5 to 13, in fact, occurred during the lifetime of those first century saints uh, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. But this is why we said it is so vitally important to understand what type of discourse this is and then to interpret it consistently with the type of discourse that it is. Because if we don't, this is what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to read the text and you're going to say, yes, these things I've seen occur before the destruction of the temple. So you know what? That means that everything happened uh, and was accomplished in 70 AD and there is no future happening of this event. Or, if you read it the other way, you might say to yourself, well, the universal language that we see in Mark 13 cannot sufficiently be explained by the destruction of the temple. And so they say, well, then none of it could have happened then. And they push this all to a future event yet to happen. But we've seen, brothers and sisters, that those problems, for the most part, are alleviated when we simply read this prophetic discourse like we would all the other prophecies of the Old Testament or of Scripture. And that is not just having a fulfillment, but having more than one fulfillment. And we, we use Joel 2, verses 28 and 32 as an example of that. And so when we do this, we see that, yes, uh, much of what Jesus has described has been fulfilled in 70 AD. Yet, brothers and sisters, what we have to see is not completely, right? not exhaustively, And that is because the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD is typological. It is typological of the greater judgment that is going to occur when Christ returns in judgment at his second advent. We have to keep that in mind. Now, starting in verse 14, we see this distinctive shift in Jesus' teaching. He, He shifts from speaking about general things that will occur leading up to the, to the end of the age, to now talking about specific events that the, the church, the first century church, and these apostles themselves uh, are going to experience. And so what Jesus here is describing, starting in verse 14, is not something that is going to occur off into the distant future. But he is, he is warning the apostles then and there that these things are going to occur in their own lifetimes. And so they are to heed his warning. This is why Jesus says in verse 23, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. And so now, brothers and sisters, starting in verse 14, we see that Jesus shifts to answering the first question. When will the destruction of the temple be? He began in verses 5 to 13, telling them these things must persist until the end, but it does not mean the end is here. And now Jesus turns his attention to telling them what must occur before the destruction of the temple. Right? This is why he, he turns from generalities to now specifics. This is why he begins in verse 14 with but. With but. If you have your own Bible here, you might want to underline that word but in verse 14 or circle it or make a square around it or, or highlight it. Right? This word but can also be translated on the other hand. And what we see here Jesus doing is he's distinguishing that which he was just speaking about with what he is now about to speak about. He is distinguishing here in these the, the two events here with that word but. He's saying in verses 5 to 13, these things 
uh, must happen, but it does not mean the end of the age. But, or on the other hand, when you see the abomination of desolation, here I'm going to answer your first question, the destruction of the temple is coming. Right? That is what he's saying here. He's, he's shifting the focus of the questions. Right? He, he first started answering the second question, now he has shifted to answer the first one. And he, that, that but is a, is a signal for us that he is shifting to, to address the other question. And so it's these events then, brothers and sisters, the, the events describing the destruction of the temple in 70 AD that we are going to focus our attention upon this morning. And we're going to do that then under three main points. And the three main points are these. Uh, first will be Scripture fulfilled. Scripture fulfilled. Second will be salvation rejected. Salvation rejected. And then third will be salvation secure. Salvation secure. Now point number one then, Scripture fulfilled. Now in Matthew's parallel account of this, after Jesus says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, Matthew adds that Jesus says that these words were spoken by the prophet Daniel. Which tells us that Jesus doesn't want us to, to guess what he is saying, but rather he is pointing us clearly to the, the fact that what he is talking about will be the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. And specifically, Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation in three places. He talks about it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He talks about it in chapter 11, verse 31. And he talks about it in chapter 12, verse 1. And so we're going to turn to just one of these to briefly look at it. So please, brothers and sisters, if you would, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll look beginning in verse 24 and read to 27. Now, and Daniel comes right after the book of Ezekiel. Now to set the stage as you're turning then, verses 1 to 19 of Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel's prayer as a Babylonian exile that God would restore them to Jerusalem and the temple. The angel Gabriel is sent and he answers Daniel in verses 20 to 27. And Daniel, or excuse me, Gabriel essentially tells Daniel that all that God has promised will come to pass. Okay, and so this leads us then to, to verse 24. Uh, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but, it, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with, with many for one week and for half of the week. He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot here. We can't go into uh, specifics. Uh, but what I will tell you is that this text is describing the first advent of Christ. Right? This text is describing the first advent of Christ. It was Jesus who came to put an end to sin 
to atone for iniquity and to bring everlasting righteousness, which we are told in verse 24. It is Jesus then, and not the Antichrist in verse 27, who makes a covenant. This is the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And it is by Christ's death that he puts an end to the sacrificial system, which we see in verse 27. Yet, after his death, Daniel says that there is one who is coming who will make desolate. Now, what's interesting about this is how the Jews understood this text to be fulfilled. Because the Jewish people believed that this was fulfilled in the 2nd century B.C. by by a, a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes was the, the king of Syria. And in the 2nd century B.C., he captured Jerusalem, he walked into the temple, and he offered uh, a pig or swine on the altar to his pagan deity Zeus. Okay? So when those who, who knew of Daniel's prophecy seeing that occur, they said, ah, right here, this is the fulfillment of this. But what does Jesus say was, was the complete fulfillment of this prophecy that event? Well, no, that prophecy was not exhausted in the second century B.C. as the Jews thought it was. But instead, Jesus says there will be a further fulfillment of it. And through it, the, the temple will be destroyed. Now, for those of you here who, who maybe take the, the, a futurist or a preterist approach, I want you to see here's, here's an argument for for not taking it in, in such a way. Even, even the prophecy that Jesus points to has multiple fulfillments. Right? It had a f- fulfillment in the second century BC, but Jesus says, no, no, that, that wasn't the complete or the exhaustive fulfillment of it. There is one more fulfillment yet to come. And so I think that's a good argument for, for, for reading it in the manner that we are taking it here. That is not an either or. It's not that it has to have all been accomplished before 70 AD or that it has to all be future. But rather, as I said last week, it's a a both and having more than one fulfillment. Now we have to ask the what is uh, this abomination that will make desolate the temple? What is Jesus describing here when he talks about the abomination of desolation? Well, brothers and sisters, abomination simply means a detestable thing. A detestable thing. An accursed thing. That's what abomination means. Right? Desolation means to, right, to, to desolate, to, to lay something to waste. And so we have to ask them, what is that detestable thing that will cause the temple to be laid to waste? Well, this phrase, abomination of desolation, was often used or associated with pagan gods. And it was used in connection with the worship of those pagan gods. A lot like what we see in 2nd century B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes. And so as, as soon as the, the, the apostles hear Jesus speak of the abomination of desolation, where does their head go to? To what happened in the 2nd century B.C. with the, with the offering uh, to Zeus, uh, that pig. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you will know that the abomination of desolation is near when you see something like that happening again. When you see something like what happened then occurring, you know that the abomination of desolation is near. And this, brothers and sisters, is exactly what happened when the Roman forces surrounded the city. And they desecrated the temple by standing where they should not have stood. They they came to the holy city and they entered the temple of God and they entered the holy of holies and they brought the temple to utter destruction and ruin. That is the abomination of desolation. This is why Calvin says, without the slightest doubt, this prophecy was fulfilled when the city was captured and overthrown and the temple utterly destroyed by the Roman general. 
Right? That is what Calvin says. And the certainty that this is what Jesus is speaking about, I think, is cemented for us in Luke's account of this text. In Luke chapter 21, verse 20, when Jesus warns the apostles, he says this, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, then you know the desolation has come near. When you see the, the, the Roman army surrounding the city and surrounding the temple, know that what Daniel has prophesied is about to come to pass. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly what we see happen. There was a kind of a, a four-year-long war from 66 A.D. to 70 A.D. In 66 A.D., you have the Jews who are tired of, of the Roman rule in their land, and so many of them, uh, uh, some of them called zealots, Zealots. They were the um, they were a, a political party, but they were the ex- extremist wing of that political party. It was these zealots who really uh, pushed the Roman army out of Jerusalem. But then, by 70 A.D., what we see is that Titus, the general of the Roman army, brings Rome and surrounds uh, and surrounds Jerusalem and surrounds the temple, and they break through the final forces of the Jewish army and they they utterly destroy the temple. They set it on fire actually and it burns to the ground so that not one stone is left upon another just as our Lord described. And you can find these events described actually by the historian Josephus. He details the horrors of the war and how the temple was burned to the ground. It's interesting as he points out that it was never Titus' intention to, to burn the temple down to the ground. It's not what that's not what Titus wanted, but in fact, it was an accident. It was an accident done by the Roman soldiers. As they, are, as they are slaughtering folks and plundering goods, they accidentally set fire to the temple, and the temple burns to nothing. And yet, what is an accident to them, what is an accident in history, we know is no accident at all, but rather, it is God working out His perfect purposes and plans through the Roman army to, to bring to destruction that temple. For brothers and sisters, the temple was a crutch for the people. It was a crutch for the people. What was meant to be used just for a time, the sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws, became a crutch for them. It made them think that they had God's favor. It made them think that they had a, a, a assurance from God, that they, they had hope that God was theirs. But in fact, all it did was blind them from the reality of, of what the sacrificial system and what the ceremonial law pointed to. And that reality was Christ. That sacrificial system blinded them. It became a crutch for the people. Christ, the author to the Hebrews, tells us, is the reality of what all those things prefigure. Those things were a shadow of the good things to come. But Christ has come and He has brought the good things with them. And yet Israel was blinded to those things. They were blinded to them. And because of that, exactly what Jesus said would occur to those who remained obstinate in refusing to place their hope and trust in Christ the Messiah came to pass, right? They were destroyed. The city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And so, brothers and sisters, we ought to ask them, what, what ought this do for us, though? Right? We, we read about this. What, what does this mean for us? Well, it ought to teach us, brothers and sisters, that God is true. It ought to teach us that God's Word is true. It ought to teach us that in God there is no lie, that, that in God's Word there are no lies, that everything God says will occur will occur exactly how He says it is. Which means for us, when He says that it is appointed once for man to die, then the judgment. When He says that when He comes, that He's going to separate the sheep from the goats, 
and the sheep will go to everlasting life and the goats to everlasting destruction. When Jesus comes and He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by Me, what does that mean for us? It means we ought to take that very seriously as if our lives depended upon it because it does. Our lives depend upon it. Right? The, the words of this book will be fulfilled. Every last one of them as God has proven to us time and time again in the coming of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we are not to put the Lord our God to the test, but we are to receive and believe every single word that God has given to us. Because if we don't, we see what happens. Right? We, we've seen what happens in the life of the Israelites, the, the utter destruction that came. And this leads us then into point number two, which is salvation rejected. Please look with me once more at verses 14 to 19. Verses 14 to 19. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where you ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such a tribulation as, as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Right? As a result of the Jews' rejection of Christ, destruction was going to come. And so we see here Jesus warn the apostles that when the abomination of desolation nears, that they are to flee. Right? They are to flee. And he accentuates the, the dire need for them to flee by saying, when this happens, don't go back and get anything. Don't look behind you. Just run to the mountains. Right? Flee. Get away as fast as you can. If you are on your rooftop, don't go back into your house. Run away to the mountains. You have to understand that at that time they had flat roofs and they would have ladders or they would have stairs outside of the home. And, so, and they, would, they would hang out with their friends and family on the rooftops. They would go up to the rooftops to pray. They would go to the rooftops to catch a breeze. And so Jesus is saying, if you are on the rooftop, when you see the abomination of desolation near, get down that ladder and get to the mountains immediately. Right? Because when you see the Roman army coming, you know that desolation is nearing. And so leave. He says, if you're in the field and you, and you put your cloak down as you're doing work, don't turn back to grab your cloak, but just run. Right? Jesus even shows concern for the, for the pregnant women and the, and the nursing infants because He knows if the abomination of desolation comes when they are pregnant or when the infants are nursing, it's going to slow them down. It's going to slow them down from being able to escape and to run away from the Roman army. Likewise, we see here uh, that He says we ought to pray that it does not happen when winter comes because that too is going to slow them down. It's going to make it difficult for them to, to get to the mountains if, it is, if winter has come. And why then must they escape in this manner though? Well, because Jesus says that in those days there will be tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Right? The historian Josephus records for us that one million Jews were killed in the sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the killing did not just occur by the sword. So you have to understand that uh, the, the, the Roman army came and they surrounded the city and they choked out the city. Right? They, they would not allow food to come into the city. And so what ended up happening was the, the Jews began to starve and they died of starvation. There are also reports of cannibalism. People died by crucifixion. 
And those who, who did not die were, were taken as slave laborers. Right? And this is why Jesus then can say that there will never be a worse tribulation for the old covenant people of God because of the guilt that they built up for their sin. Right? They were blessed by God. They were given the prophets. They were the one to whom Messiah first came to. They were the one who were first offered grace by God in the gospel. But they rejected it, not once, not twice, but again and again and again. They trampled upon the grace of God. And in trampling upon the grace of God, they actually put the Son of God to death. And so the destruction of the temple was God's judgment upon the nation. And it was by far the worst judgment that would ever befall the old covenant people of God. But what we need to see, brothers and sisters, in this is what judgment looks like for all who despise God's grace and deny God's Son. This is what happens when man spits at the mercy of God. They get judgment. And it's severe judgment in that. For the judgment of Israel, the judgment that Israel was subjected to, as I said earlier, is only typological of the judgment that is going to come upon all men that God is going to unleash upon this world when He returns. And how does God describe then the frightening ends for the wicked in hell when He returns? What does He say about it? He says hell is the place that the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Luke 16, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, what does the rich man who is in hell say to Abraham? He just wants a Abraham to touch his tongue with water because he has experienced such torment and anguish in hell. Right? If we think what happened to Israel is terrible, think about what it will be like for the ungodly when Christ returns. Right? What happened to Israel in the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem happened in a moment in time. It happened and then it ended. But for those in hell, it will be a punishment that will last for all of eternity. The destruction of the temple points forward to that greater destruction that will come for all those who reject Christ. And so may we learn, brothers and sisters, from what Christ is teaching, to to run to Christ, to flee to Christ, to cling to Christ, to stay by Christ's side, so that we might not be led into utter destruction through rejecting the Christ who has been offered to us in the Gospel, as so many try to do to us today, just as they try to do to the apostles in Jesus' day. Right, look at verse 20 once more. Jesus says, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is Christ, or look, here He is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. Jesus is telling the apostles here not only how they are to protect their bodies, and I want you to see that as well. It's not cowardly to run away when the Romans were coming to kill them. Jesus tells them, this is how you protect your bodies. Run away when you see this into the mountains. But not only is Jesus telling them how they are to protect their bodies, here in our text he's likewise telling them how they are to guard and protect their souls. And how is that? Well, he says it's, not being, not by, it's by not being led astray by false Christ. And we have to ask, why is Jesus warning them during this time of tribulation not to be led astray by false Christ? Well, because, brothers and sisters, it's often those times when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we're dealing with tribulation, that we are ready and willing to believe and receive anything that someone has for us 
just so long as we can find immediate relief. So Jesus tells them, do not fall into the, to, to, to those false Christs who come and say that I am He. And what happens to so many today, brothers and sisters? Right? This happens to so many. They maybe grew up in good Bible-believing churches, but, but what happens as they get older? Perhaps they, they deal with uh, financial troubles. Perhaps they deal with physical ailments. Perhaps they have some sort of crisis of faith in, in university or as they get older. And so they, they lose their faith or they question their faith. And what ends up happening many of those times? Right? They end up turning to, to, to false gospels. They end up turning to false teachers who tickle their ears and tell them exactly what it is they want to hear and what happens as a result. They lose any notion of that true Christ that they once knew. And now they, they trust and believe in a false Christ which will lead them to nothing but utter destruction, not only of their bodies, but also of their souls. But you need to see this is what happens when, when salvation and salvation in Christ alone is rejected. And so this is the judgment that has come upon the nation of Israel in the destruction of the temple and the sacking of Jerusalem. And this then leads us to our third and final point this morning, which is salvation secure. In verse 20, Jesus says, And if the Lord did not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, whom He chose, He shortened the days. Even in calamities, even in judgments, even in destruction, brothers and sisters, we have to see that God always remembers mercy for His people. Right? Even when He is pouring out His judgment upon the nations, He remembers mercy for His people. And God showed mercy to these first century saints. Right? This is why he, he told them what they are to look for, when they are in, in, in where they are to go, and where they are to escape to. And we have record that they did just that. And around the year 67 A.D., they, they see that, that Rome is going to eventually take this thing by force. They see the signs. And so we have record of the Christians fleeing and going into the mountains and finding safety, heeding the voice of Christ. But sadly, for so many of the Jews, they did the exact opposite. They ran back into the city, not understanding what was about to occur. But Christ made sure His people were not kept in the dark so that when that moment came, they would find freedom and safety. And brothers and sisters, God was taking care of them just as He takes care of us today. We have so many instructions that, are, that have been left to us in God's Word that take care of us. He tells us how we are to worship Him. He tells us what we are to believe about Him. He tells us what our duties are to God and to one another. And why does He do that? He does that to strengthen us. And He does that for our health and for our safety and for our comfort and for our growth and maturation in Christ Jesus. He does this to, to grow our, and, and protect and to provide safety for our souls so that we would not perish, but that we would have spiritual safety until Christ arrives. Right? This is why He gives us all these instructions. Right? God is constantly taking care of us. And this is so important to see that it is God's grace that sustains the sinner. Right? What does God say to, uh, to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient. Right? It is the grace of God that determines the permanence of our salvation. Right? It is the grace of God that determines the permanence of our salvation. And because it is founded upon God's grace and not upon us, then we have the certainty that none of us will ever fall away from Christ. Right? This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. That we are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
It was Jude in verse 24 who declares that it is God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. You see, brothers and sisters, salvation and the preservation of our faith is not dependent upon us. At the end of the day, we cannot perish into eternal perdition because our salvation is dependent upon God and His Almighty Hand. And He keeps us and He will never let us go. Yet as we draw to a close, then I want to just point out two more things from our text before we end. The two things are this. First, brothers and sisters, I want us to see from our text that salvation comes through judgment. Salvation comes through judgment. This is a, a motif that we see in the Bible. Right? Think of Noah, for example. Right? The salvation of him and his family came through the, the, the judgment floodwaters. And likewise, brothers and sisters, what we need to see is that in the judgment of the Israelites upon the temple, God brought deliverance to His church. And He brought deliverance. He, he delivered us from those old covenant ceremonies and from the Old Testament laws and from, the, and from Jewish rule over us. He, he freed the church from those things in the destruction of the temple. And likewise, it will be through God's judgment when Christ returns at His second advent that we will finally and ultimately totally be, be freed from all of affliction and atrocities and calamities here on earth as we will del- dwell with Christ forever. Right? It is through the, the judgment of God when He comes back that His church will ultimately be saved. And then secondly, what we need to understand is that although salvation is all of God, although it is God who will continue to preserve us and keep us in the faith until the end, that He uses means, though, to do it. We need to understand He uses means to do it. This is why He says in verse 23, But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Jesus instructs them what they are to do so that they are not to be caught by the Roman army. But, brothers and sisters, they had to listen. They had to pay attention. They had to heed His instruction. They had to run and flee when they seen it. And so, brothers and sisters, we see how wonderful and excellent our Lord's teaching is that He will never allow His wrath to be poured out so far and so great that He will not make escape for His saints. But likewise, let us also recognize, brothers and sisters, that we must remain on guard. We must remain alert. We must remain aware. We must continue to make use of God's means to keep us in the faith. And that's so important for us here today as well. We have to continue to make sure that we are at church on Sunday. That we are sitting under the means of grace. That we are hearing the preached Word. That we are participating in the sacraments. That we are making good use of our time at home through Bible reading and prayer and family worship. Right? That we are uh, uh, progressing in our sanctification that we are putting off all manners of sin, that we are fleeing those relationships that will only harm us, that we are not succumbing to any false teaching or false teachers or false worship or falling for false signs or false wonders that we see in this world, but that we continue just to live in, 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 in quiet peace and in, 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 in harmony here in this world that we have, right? looking to, to, to God for all strength, looking to God for wisdom, looking to God... Uh, for the grace of our Lord, praying that He would cause us never to seek deliverance or refuge in any other, other than our one and only stronghold, other than our one and only rock, and other than our one and only Savior, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Please, brothers and sisters, bow our heads in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You, Father, that You give us example after example of Your complete and total faithfulness. We thank You, Father, that we can know with certainty that Your Word is true and You have proven it time and time again. Lord, we pray that You would help us to to see in this text what You would desire of us, that the the Spirit, Father, would be, would be teaching us, would be guiding us, be leading us into to all truth as we read and we think about and we contemplate this, this text this day. Lord, cause us to see that this is uh, typological of, of what will occur for those who do not uh, believe in Christ your Savior. And Lord, we pray that you would use the message then to draw sinners to faith in Christ, that they would repent of their sin and turn to faith in Him that they might flee that uh, terrible judgment that will one day come when Christ returns in the clouds. So, Father, we come before You this morning asking all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.